Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I'm Graham. And I'm Dave. Today, we're talking to our technical editor, Aaron Van Weirdham, about blockchain forking on Bitcoin. But first, here's what's going on. An intelligence branch of the Russian government used Bitcoin to fund its cyber warfare efforts to interfere with the 2016 U.S. presidential election, according to the Mueller report. This branch, the main intelligence director of the General Staff of the Russian Army, or GRU, hacked into the computer hardware of the Clinton campaign, the Democratic National Committee, and the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, leading to leaked emails detailing how Clinton was given preferential treatment by the DNC during the 2016 Democratic primaries. One of the subunits of the GRU ran a Bitcoin mining operation to purchase computer hardware using the hacks and to develop malware to gain access to the DNC's sensitive information. According to the report, this IT unit stored its Bitcoin in the UK-based CEX.io, a cryptocurrency cloud mining service and exchange. They also used Bitcoin to purchase the domain name DCLeaks.com. The Department of Justice had already tied these hacks to Bitcoin in 2018. However, the Mueller investigation confirmed suspicions that autocratic regimes like North Korea and Russia are using cryptocurrencies to bypass U.S. and international sanctions, allowing them to fund illicit activities without immediately alerting international governments. Even though Russia was successful in evading CEX.io's KYC AML policies, Mueller's team eventually discovered the activity. In a first-ever penalty, the U.S. Department of Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, has punished a peer-to-peer Bitcoin trader for violating its regulations. FinCEN claimed that Eric Powers, an individual trader, exchanged BTC totaling about $5 million and made individual transactions of more than 10000 over 200 times. This was all without registering as a money services business, maintaining any written policies for compliance with the Bank Secrecy Act, or reporting suspicious transactions. As punishment, Powers was required to forfeit $100,000 in fiat and $800,000 worth of crypto assets. He's also agreed to cease all money transmission services. This was FinCEN's first enforcement action against a peer-to-peer cryptocurrency exchange. It could be a bad sign for those who want to trade BTC as anonymously as possible without federal registration, but probably only if they hope to do so in very large volumes. In a message broadcast to the Blockstream satellite earlier this month, an anonymous challenger set the stage for a million-dollar quest called Satoshi's Treasure. It's been confirmed that Eric Meltzer, co-founder of Primitive Ventures, is one of the orchestrators of the hunt, but he may not have been the broadcaster. The treasure, likely a single private key tied to an address with $1 million worth of BTC, has been broken up into 1,000 pieces and treasure hunters must collect 400 of them to access the stash. According to the initial message, the challenger will periodically provide clues to pieces of the treasure on the website satoshistreasure.xyz. Since Bitcoin Magazine reported on the initial broadcast, a Twitter user named John Contrell has posted his process for obtaining the first three key shards. However, as these treasure hunters approach the million-dollar prize, it's likely the clues will become much, much harder to crack. Finally, the bottom of Bitcoin's bear market is in, says a new report from the Bitcoin fund Adamant Capital. Authored by founders of Adamant Capital, including Tur Demeester, the report argues that Bitcoin is undervalued at its current price similar to previously held sentiments by Adamant during downtrends in 2012 and 2015. According to the report, Bitcoin has now entered an accumulation phase of its bear market, the first stage of a potential bull market. While Adamant admits it's not an oracle and its research isn't a crystal ball, 
The firm lays out an intuitive argument for why Bitcoin has experienced the worst of its current bear market. The report highlights several fundamental drivers for Bitcoin's next bull market, including the partnership or investment in Bitcoin-related products by traditional institutions, second-layer scaling, such as the Lightning Network, the 2020 halving, and, surprisingly, millennials, a new generation of investors who came to financial literacy around the time of the 2008 Great Recession. Negative price factors that remain in play include the possibility of major exchange hacks, Bitcoin miner capitulation, regulatory threats, and hard fork contentions. According to a legal petition filed with the Supreme Court of New York, the New York Office of the Attorney General wants to take a closer look into the business operations of Bitfinex and the related stablecoin issuer of Tether. The investigation would look into Bitfinex's suite of interrelated companies for ongoing fraud due to the possible loss of theft of approximately $850 million. The New York Office of the Attorney General alleges that Bitfinex used the funds from Tether to hide the $850 million in losses from customer funds, which were entrusted to a Panama-based payment processor, Crypto Capital, who later claimed the funds had been seized by regulatory authorities. During this time, Bitfinex claimed cash withdrawals were unobstructed. Although Bitfinex does not allegedly operate in New York, the investigation seeks to determine the extent to which New York investors were exposed to ongoing fraud being carried out between Bitfinex and Tether. A blog post on the Bitfinex website indicates that the funds transferred to crypto capital are not lost but have been, in fact, seized and safeguarded. Bitfinex also claims to be actively exercising their rights to get these funds released. While such events have affected the Bitcoin price and sentiment in the short term, it's not clear what the long-term impact might be. Today, we're joined by Bitcoin Magazine's technical editor, Aaron Van Weirdham, to discuss a recent infographic he published which maps various Bitcoin forks that have occurred. Aaron, to start right off the bat, what is forking? So there are actually two totally different types of forks. Uh, that was sort of one of the reasons we made the infographic is to explain the difference. The word fork just means two, two totally different things. That's important to keep in mind. It's just the same word for two completely different things. One type of fork is a software fork, which is really just a copy of code. Um, and then it's usually tweaked to do something new. And then the other type of fork is a blockchain fork, which means that a blockchain uh, splits or two different blocks are found and from there kind of two blockchains start and that can have all sorts of implications or different types of results. So these two main types of forks, software forks and blockchain forks are two very different things and they both have all sorts of subcategories and different ways it can play out and some of that is shown in this infographic. So what's the difference between a hard fork and a soft fork? First of all, a regular blockchain fork, maybe I should mention that first, a regular blockchain fork is something that happens regularly, right? If two blocks are found at the same time, for example, by different miners uh, on different parts of the network, then one of these blocks, uh, then, then different parts of the network will actually consider different versions of transaction history valid for a little while until one block is found. One of the two networks or on one of the two blockchains, then that blockchain becomes the longest one and everyone defaults to the longest blockchain, right? Um, so that's what a regular blockchain fork is. Now, a hard fork is actually a type of upgrade of the protocol rules, and it is named after just a regular blockchain fork uh, kind of thing because, so it removes 
rules or it loosens rules, and this means that it's incompatible with the previous version of the protocol. So if a hard fork upgrade takes place, then in a way the blockchain splits into two and then everyone should move over to kind of the new protocol. It's important that everyone moves over to this new protocol. And um, the confusing thing about the name hard fork is that a fork, a blockchain fork doesn't actually happen. It's just everyone moves to an incompatible protocol. And it's like, in theory, a fork could happen, but it shouldn't. Like, that's the whole point of a hard fork. So even though it's called a hard fork, the point is that everyone should move and move to the new protocol and start using that. Now, a soft fork is sort of, it, it sort of does the opposite thing. While a hard fork removes rules or loosens rules, a soft fork adds rules or uh, makes rules stricter. So that's also a protocol upgrade. And the nice thing about a soft fork is that it is backwards compatible. So as long as a majority of hash power is enforcing the new rules, then everyone should default to this uh, new protocol. So even non-upgraded nodes should follow the new upgraded protocol. So that's one big benefit that software has over hard fork. Well, if a hard, a hard fork requires everyone to upgrade, everyone needs to move to the new protocol rules because otherwise a blockchain fork takes place and that's what you do not want. While the software just requires a majority of hash power ultimately to upgrade and then everyone should follow on this new protocol. Okay. So can you describe some of the main reasons why forking happens on the Bitcoin blockchain? So software forks are not unique to Bitcoin, actually. Software forks are just uh, it's just hap- something that happens in open source software. And you can create a software fork for all sorts of reasons. Um, you can create a software fork for very much. So let's stick to Bitcoin in this case. So you can create a software fork for very minor um, additions. So, for example, uh, so, uh, one example that is not shown in this infographic, actually, is... Um, Peter Todd, the Bitcoin Core, or former Bitcoin Core contributor, he at one point forked Bitcoin Core uh, and made a relatively minor tweak um, to implement full replace by fee. So that basically means if you send a conflicting transaction with a higher fee, then this software that he forked will just accept this transaction as, you know, it has a higher fee, so that's fine. But the actual... Um, Bitcoin Core code doesn't do that. Like if there's a conflicting transaction on the network, it rejects the latter one unless there is a flag. Well, kind of a com- complex, um, long story, but the point is that this is a very mi- minor tweak. So you can take the Bitcoin Core software, make a m- very minor tweak and just release it and, and then you have a new version of Bitcoin. Uh, actually it's just part of the same Bitcoin. So, um, Luke Dasher did something similar with Bitcoin Nuts. He made a fork which implemented a bunch of um, optimizations for miners. But you can also do something much more radical, which is to fork the Bitcoin Core code and actually have it do something that makes it incompatible with Bitcoin itself. So, for example, Bitcoin Cash was started uh, as a Bitcoin Core software fork, but then it created the blockchain fork. Can you walk us through the significant forks that have occurred on Bitcoin in the past? Yeah, so uh, we included a bunch of them in the infographic, of course. The point of the infographic, though, I should note, wasn't to include all forks, because if we include all forks, it would just be too many, and it's hard to keep track of which fork exists, uh, because you can 
make a software fork that's so minor that no one will even know about it or um, and there's been so many blockchain forks as well can include all of them in- including like just abandoned orphans blocks and like all of that um, so major ones it totally depends who you ask really um, so uh, to name an example that's actually not included in in the infographic is Litecoin is a software fork of Bitcoin. Or actually, to be a bit more specific, Litecoin Core, which is the main implementation of Litecoin, is the software fork of Bitcoin Core, which is the main implementation of Bitcoin at the moment. Um, so then, you know, if you'd ask Charlie Lee what is the what are the main, most important forks, he'd probably name Litecoin as an example. Um, it, it's hard to deny, like you said, Bitcoin Cash has probably been a pretty major event in Bitcoin's history, and that was a fork as well. So that was a blockchain fork. Well, it started as a software fork, and then it resulted in a blockchain fork. The interesting thing there was that it was really a difference in vision for Bitcoin itself, which has been lingering for years. So um, two groups of Bitcoin users really had a different idea where Bitcoin should go or what it should be, and then... In the end, finally, in 2017, one group of users just said, okay, well, we're just going to go. We're just going to create a blockchain fork, which will be its own currency, and we'll continue with that sort of version of Bitcoin as they see it. So why did the Bitcoin Cash community want to create a new version of Bitcoin? Their vision for Bitcoin just has a very different um, trade-off, basically. It it makes a different trade-off. It makes a trade-off in favor of transactional capabilities so it, it allows for more transactions per second uh, therefore also allows for cheaper fees but it has a big trade-off that it's actually more expensive to be a part of that to be a fully validating part of the system itself to run a full node um, it has other trade-offs when it comes to mining and, and fees and ultimately it's a security trade-off so they're okay with the lesser security model or less secure security model in favor of outside of the infographic can you think of any other event that helps prove bitcoin's decentralized structure the point of the infographic was not to include everything that ever happens but more like give ex- example of the different types of forks that can happen and a soft fork had already happened at that point um but segregated business was a big event was a was a soft fork um and what it did was um it, it it did two things at once. So one part of the upgrade was it fixed the malleability bug, as it was called. So the malleability bug, uh, it's a little bit technical, but it basically meant that transactions on the network, as long as they were unconfirmed, could sort of be changed in minor ways, but made... Um, it made the transaction look a bit different, although even though it did the same thing, like it moved to save Bitcoins from the same address to the same address, and like nothing, like it changed, but it changed what Bitcoin transactions look like, and that's very much complicated, more advanced sort of transaction structures, like um, with, for example, which is used in the Lightning Network, um, where transactions, unconfirmed transactions, build on each other, and for that, it's actually very important that a transaction can't be changed. It shouldn't be able to change what it looks like. So the segregated witness takes that, and in fixing that, it enables technologies like the Lightning Network, 
At the same time, it also uh, cleverly increased the block size limit a little bit. Well, it about doubled the block size, uh, block size limit. And it did so in a way that it was backwards compatible to older nodes. So even if there are upgraded nodes on the network and non-upgraded nodes on the network, they'd still be fully compatible with one each other on part of the same Bitcoin network. So that was a very clever uh, upgrade. It was a very clever way to do that. Before it activated, it became subject to political maneuvering, basically. Um, while the upgrade was segregated witness itself was not very controversial, there were this, especially miners and, and just this part of the Bitcoin community that wanted a block size increase hard fork. Um, so, so miners were refusing to implement or to activate segregated witness unless there was also a block size increase hard fork. Now, in the end, a group of companies and miners came together in New York and they made this deal where they would, miners would activate segregated witness and then there would also be, be a block size hard fork. And this took shape in the form of BTC1, which was a software fork of Bitcoin Core maintained by Jeff Garcik. Uh, and, and they had Im- embedded this code where segregated witness would activate and then a little bit later there would be a hard fork. So, Segregated witness did activate, but then a whole bunch of Bitcoin users that, first of all, weren't part of the agreement in New York, and second of all, didn't agree with that New, uh, New York agreement, and this included developers as well, they started to push back against this hard fork. They never signed up for a hard fork. They never wanted a hard fork. So that culminated in the no2x movement. And in the end, about a week before this hard fork was going to take place, the people behind it, including including Jeff Garzik and the other people that were in New York, they they bailed on it. They um they acknowledged there was no consensus for it, and they gave up. Does the average Bitcoin user need to understand this stuff? Um, well, I think you don't need to actually understand any of it. Like it's not necessary. That's one of the nice things about Bitcoin. I think um it. It does sort of have this digital property where it just works and you don't actually need to worry about any of this if you don't want to, right? Uh, if you own Bitcoin and you're just holding, then it's okay to not think about it for a couple of years and then, you know, your Bitcoin will still be there. You wouldn't have needs to be engaged with any of the sort of Scaling debate for like any of that. You can just ignore it in the same way that you can ignore altcoins and, um, in the same way, if you, like if you build an application that works on Bitcoin, one of the nice things about Bitcoin is that it's backwards compatible generally, like every upgrade, at least for since like 2013 or so has been backwards compatible. So if you build some kind of application for Bitcoin, don't use it for a couple of years and then fire it up, it should still work. Uh, everyone, everything should still be working fine. You know, all of this, all of these additional forks, they, well, it's very different, uh, what it would mean for you. If you're a miner, you might want to look into Bitcoin NOS because it gives you some extra options. Like that's something you might be interested in. Um, if you're a holder, you might want to learn about the different fork coins that have happened because they're basically Free money. They're, they're like the gifts of free money for you, right? If you, if you've held Bitcoin for the past three years, 
and you haven't touched it, then by now you also have some Bitcoin Cash, some Bitcoin SV, which you can potentially sell. Uh, also, like a bunch of other four coins, but these are worth a lot less. But still, you know, if you add it all, uh, if you add it all up together, you get like a six percent dividend or something, which is nice. It's mainly informational, just uh, people find it interesting, but you don't need to care about any of it. You can just use Bitcoin and that's the only thing you need to care about. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is a BTC media produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. Today's episode was produced by myself and Dave. Stories in this episode come from articles written by Bitcoin Magazine staff, including Peter Chihuahua, Colin Harper, Jimmy Akee, Landon Manning, and Aaron Van Weerham. Theme music provided by Billy Sly from the Crypto Cantina. A very special thanks to our guest Aaron Van Weerdom and also Satoshi Nakamoto. We are eternally grateful. Visit BitcoinMagazine.com for more in-depth news, analysis, and resources about the most successful peer-to-peer currency. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine. You can find more engaging crypto podcasts over at Let'sTalkBitcoin.com. And you can also follow them on Twitter at the LTB Network for all the latest episodes and news. Be sure to subscribe to the show on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. If you got the time, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us improve the show and reach new listeners. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time.